Hey everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Alex, and today on our panel we have Tessa. Hello. And Oscar. Hello. And our special guest for this episode is Gift Iguenu. Gift, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Gift Iguenu. I currently work as a front-end consultant at Passionate People. I also am a content creator. I like to call myself that. I really enjoy making stuff for the community, whether this be developer guides, YouTube videos on topics like Vue.js, for example, front-end development. And I also spend most of my time watching Netflix. That's how I pass time. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. I do that quite a bit too. So right there with you. So have I'm going to start off with this, I guess. As an opening question, who here has tried learning something in front of a bunch of people? Tessa, I think you had some thoughts on this concept, but learning in public, like have you have you done any of this before? Thoughts is certainly a way to describe my knee-jerk reaction, which is like on purpose. I feel like you drank <laughs> Philocroy just so you could do a spit take that nobody will see. <laughs> Also, in general, I would describe my life philosophy as like trying to do as little learning as possible. So no, I'm kidding. But I I do feel like usually learning in public refers to some kind of presentational aspect. And since most of the public content that I put out is already completed, like it's a completed presentation, or it's a completed blog post or something, I feel like I'm not really learning in public. Like maybe I learned, oh, great, I did it. I could do it, but that's not really what we're talking about here. I learned Rust in public. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting take on it. The like, I'm learning something, but then I'm presenting what I learned in public as opposed to like learning in public. Oscar, how about you? Do you have any experience learning in public? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like (laughs) on like the second part of that, I do it all the time. I'll sign myself up for like some conference talk or something on some topic I know absolutely nothing about. (laughs) And like, yeah, I kind of learn it when I'm reading the docs and I'm trying to put something together, but I'm really learning it when I'm on stage trying to explain it to a bunch of people, I feel like is is usually how it happens for me. I feel like I haven't had any firsthand experience of like truly just learning something in, in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, I guess it's asynchronous learning in public or asynchronous futuro masochism or something. You're like, I want to give a talk, but I don't have any talks prep for this conference. You know what's a good thing to do? I won't worry about it. Future Me is going to worry about it. That's their problem. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> I hate Future Me. I am so bad to Future Me. It's not good. I'm Future Me right now. I'm so sad. Yeah, I'm, I'm very angry at past me right now for that exact reason. Yeah. So, yes. It's funny what you said about learning something before you give a talk about it. This. A popular saying, it's called conference-driven development. I love that. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I love that so much. Well, of course, use that time to prep and also learn, of course, what you're going to be presenting. In my own experience, I think I have done learning in public even without realizing that that's what it is. So I started my tech career as obviously front-end developer. And at the time, I wanted to learn JavaScript. Of course, I was learning these things on my own, just watching videos, building stuff on my own, until I found a community called 100 Days of Code. 
it's basically this thing where you commit to saying, oh, for the next 100 days, I'm going to commit to learning a specific technology. And you don't just learn, you also share what you're doing, right? So I did this challenge at the time and that was basically learning in public for me because I would learn a new concept, come on Twitter and say, oh, this is nice. This is something that I learned today and I built this thing with it. To me, that was my first introduction to the whole concept of public learning. And I really liked it a lot at the time because it really helped first with having like a community because it's, of course, a very popular challenge where you see a lot of people also involved in it and you get to meet other developers that are also learning JavaScript. It's very, it's very nice if you're in that stage where you're just trying to get into tech and you're learning something. It's a nice challenge to take on. I like this idea of, I hadn't really thought about 100 days of code being a learning in public thing, but now that you're explaining it, I can totally see that that is, I love that idea of, yeah, just talk about what it is that you're working on. It doesn't, you don't have to, learning in public isn't necessarily like, oh, being on video and oh, watch me read documentation, right? It's just like, hey, I'm learning about this thing. How does this thing work? And then just having that conversation. I think that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. And it's good to get that perspective from someone who's actually done it because I see the tweets all the time. Like I see like, oh, hashtag 100 days of code. And I'm like, all right, should I be writing some code? I'm like for 100 days? Like, I don't know. What is this? But everyone's always so hype. Like every single time I see one of those tweets, everyone's like, yeah, get it. Like, And I think that's amazing. Although I will say, I think the last time that I saw something about 100 days in my Twitter feed, it was people expressing dismay that it got taken over by grifters and simultaneously people warning other people who were using that hashtag for its original intended purpose to like find a new hashtag Mm -hmm. or something because it had been taken over. So I'm not sure if that's still the case. Yeah, I also noticed that as well. Like, When I did this, it was like 2017, so it was definitely still very relevant. Of course, right now, a lot of people use it for other ulterior purposes, but I feel like there is still the genuine ones that are actually trying to learn stuff using it for the initial purpose that it was created for. But of course, there's a lot of noise. Definitely, like if you go on Twitter and you search for 100 days of code, I bet you the first 50 tweets you see, it's just actually no people doing <laughs> what you're supposed yeah, to do before, yeah. right? So it's there's a lot of noise there. But again, it could be that you decide to do that challenge, but not using Twitter as a platform for it. I've seen a lot of people doing it on, for example, LinkedIn. Not sure if it's a very good place for that kind of thing or platforms like Hashnode or dev.co, where you like write blog posts on the stuff that you're learning, which is also a great way to do it that way. For example, I feel like Twitter is not a long term way. It's not a place where you could generate, how do I explain this? If you make it to it on Twitter, it's probably going to be obsolete in like three hours because of course, People just scroll past it. But if you have a blog post or if you write it on your personal blog, for example, then it's long form and long lived content in that way. So I, I guess maybe not doing it on Twitter and maybe having a, your own platform for sharing the stuff that you're doing, that would be a better option. Yeah. 
I know that I struggle with like writing longer form content all the time. So I kind of like the nice dopamine burst of making a single tweet and being like, "Ah, I've put something out into the world that's creative. But like, I know you've just you've screamed something into the abyss sometimes. And so I like the idea of make your own content, make your own platform where you can like really dig into stuff. Yeah, I mean, for me, I might be in the category of when premium tweets are unlocked, people are going to pay me to stop tweeting. Alex is nodding vigorously. I will sign up and I will just send you a bunch of regular Dash quotes and then... Oh my God, I'm really going to make that keyboard. (laughs) But yeah, okay, so what other methods are there for learning in public then? So you've talked, we've talked about just sort of talking about what you're learning, but like, are there other methods? Are there other ways? Uh, Like, what is another way that somebody can get into this? Like, where would you want to go with something like this? Sure, I can talk about this. Personally, I've tried a couple of different things that could also be tagged to learning in public. Apart from, for example, sharing your work on Twitter, you could also register or speak at meetup and conferences, just like Oscar said, conference driven development. You can also make YouTube videos or Twitch streams. I've seen a lot of people doing that as well now. Like, for example, you could host a stream where you are trying to learn, say, Nox. And while you're trying to figure stuff out, just have other people there watching you, guiding you, something like that. would also be a very nice way of doing it. But I definitely know that I would recommend a lot of grit and efforts. Because like a lot of people feel some kind of way, why, why, why would I come out and publicly humiliate myself? Because this stuff is not something that I'm an expert in and they kind of shy away from doing it. But I like to, I like to advocate for this kind of stuff because of the benefits that it comes with, which I probably talk about. And for me, what I do is if I, how I create content, of course, I create content on stuff that I'm pretty much familiar with you. I also use the avenue, use that avenue that I have. For example, if I'm trying to level up on a specific technology, I might decide that it might be nice to make a video about this. And I use that as an opportunity to learn it and also teach it. So it gives me the benefits of Like I have a fresh perspective on this specific technology and teaching it to other people or just sharing it would help other learners that are also trying to learn it, gain knowledge from what I've shared. So I would definitely say making videos or streams, um, Twitch streams is another avenue you can use for learning in public. The cool one that I've seen recently is people sketchnoting or drawing cartoons. There are a lot of people that do this as well. I'm not very artistic, so of course I've never <laughs> I've never tried this, but I know some people that are very good at this. There is someone that I follow. Her name is Nitya. She draws a lot of sketch notes on Azure-related things. So for example, what is Azure or how do you deploy some kind of things on the cloud, which just sketch and she shares it. She has a website for it. And me as a learner, if that's the kind of, there are different ways people like to learn stuff. If you're a visual learner, that's something you can resonate with if you want to check that out. Yeah. So there are 
pretty much other ways, that, but these are the ones that I can think of right now. I love seeing people's sketch notes. I can't do sketch notes. I've tried and I'm always like I start sketching something and then I've missed half the talk. So I, I can't do sketch notes. I can't. I have to either be focusing on one or the other, but I love seeing other people's because I'm just like, oh, that looks so cool. And then like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get what they're talking about. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I find it also interesting that you talk about Twitch streaming and making videos. Do you do much with streaming then? Or are you more of like a you like to just make edited videos or a little bit of both? Right now, I'm more of edited video person. But I've tried streaming once or twice. I'm actually getting into it again soon. But for me, what I do is, in that case, because it's not live, I make the video, edit it, and then upload it. Yeah. I think one of the nice things, for me at least, is seeing, like, when somebody's Twitch streaming, I kind of like to see somebody struggle a little bit. I like to know, okay, they're running into issues doing this thing, right? And when you have a nice edited video that that part of it gets removed, you're just like, and then here's the finished, like, here's the thing. And here's how we do it. Right. But you're not, you're not showing the, I have no idea how this thing's, what is this thing? So. I'm the complete opposite. I don't like sketch notes and I don't like watching people struggle. (laughs) I don't want to say that I don't like people taking sketch notes. Like I think whatever, whatever method works for them is fine but when they put it online for me to consume a while ago i really wanted to read from hell so i bought it i brought it home and i opened it up and every single page was written in this very thin handwritten font and it was very hard was to it read. comic sans was it like a very thin it was, comic no sans? it was literally <laughs> handwritten <laughs> okay i didn't read it it was too hard that's how I feel when I look at sketch notes. What if somebody wants to share the learnings with me? But it was hard for me to read it. And then that also activates my comic brain, even though that's not the point of the notes. And I'm like, how are the images and the text working together? Are they? I'm not so sure. And like, that's something that would be inherently difficult to do with sketch notes. And yet that's what I start thinking about when I see them. And then in terms of struggling too, I like people acknowledging, oh, I struggled with this, or I thought that was confusing. But for me personally, watching somebody for like 30 minutes being like, oh, I don't know why this isn't working. And I also have no clue why it isn't working. And we're both just sitting there stumped is not how I would personally choose to spend my day. Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting because I've noticed, you know, certain people starting to stream more coding and things like that on, on say Twitch, right? And it's really kind of interesting because even though folks can be struggling through something, they can be entertaining about it too, right? And so maybe like the point isn't necessarily just to watch, to learn from them or watch them do the thing, but it can really just be like for straight entertainment and just how they react to encountering that bug or like that sense of community you feel when you and 200 other chatters are there when you finally find the one character difference (laughs) that was causing this bug all along and everyone together, you know, shouts in Jubilee, chats going wild, being like, oh, we did it, right? It's kind of fun. And I mean, also maybe... I've personally benefited from, you know, folks 
streaming content. If you get in the chat, you can nerd snipe people into <laughs> fixing bugs in your open source projects, <laughs> which I think is awesome. And, and even just, you know, watching them go through that process and, and learning how, oh, this is how someone's going to come to your project and get involved and whatnot. And you can see firsthand, you know, where people are getting tripped up and whatnot. It's kind of interesting. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think I definitely agree. Like, certainly in like a one-on-one situation of just watching someone struggle, I'm probably I'm probably going to be like, yeah, this sucks. Why are we here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I know on my stream, I there are times where I, I just end the stream. I'm just like, well, you know, I've been sitting here for five minutes reading documentation. This is probably really boring to everybody. So I'm going to go figure out how this works and then come back. When you were stuck on that Alpine bug, I was like, oh, this is painful. Through no fault of your own, but just like, you know, if you're doing something by yourself, there's going to be a lot of reading and there's no, no way around it. Reading it out loud isn't necessarily going to make it more exciting. Like for me, when I'm doing Rust, at least there's other people there that know more or less. And there's also banter. But otherwise, it would just be me staring at a screen and be like, huh, why isn't this working? Yeah. I think what works in this case is having guests, people more familiar with the tech you're trying to learn. If, if that's possible to do, there's a show that I like watching, um, Len with Jason, where he invites, of course, other people more knowledgeable in the specific area. Then in that case, you reduce the struggling a bit because then they are there and they can easily just help you if you're trying to figure out stuff. Maybe that could be a better way of doing that. But like I said, not everybody has access to experts in a specific area that are trying to learn stuff so yeah yeah i was gonna say i think making a specific framing context is key whether it's for sketch notes or for learning in public like having a a scope that you've decided on in advance because there have definitely been at least two to three times i've been in a conference talk in the audience and we had to try to debug the speaker's code live i think that was exciting because everything was already prepared, right? They already had an idea of where they wanted to go. It's a very contained project. So the ways in which there could be an issue are limited by those factors, as opposed to like, if I'm like, oh, I don't know anything about this thing, I'm going to go try it. And then there could be a million things that are wrong. And so in that same way, if you're like, I'm going to go learn something from someone else, that also limits the scope. And so that gives you more maneuverability and flexibility around addressing the growing pains of of learning something new yeah i think i like tessa i like your method where you have somebody else on and you are going through rust examples where it's very clear like here's where you want to end up with this example right like you want here's the end goal and being able to have that conversation because that is very challenging too is that when you're on stream or like you're getting started as a streamer especially not having anybody there to have that conversation with and so it's challenging, which is where if you get started at doing just like edited videos where you can be like, here's the thing I made and here's how I did it and go through and make all of it. And then kind of cut out the dead air of you going like, why am I, what is, what is this? Why isn't this? Yeah. In the, right. <laughs> I have a lot of that because when you make the videos beforehand, of course you have you have a lot of mistakes, right? There are times where when I've tried recording a video and I didn't know my audio was off. Oh, no. 
Oh, that's happened so many times. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, I had to do it twice. So that's that was that was hell. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> like when people see it and they don't know, they don't know. Oh, this is what she had to go through to get this finished product. Yeah, I definitely have pains there as well. But something that I know is if you consistently keep doing it as as much as every other thing in life for constant practice. You get better at doing it. The same applies to also streaming. When you are just getting started, it might feel a bit daunting. Sometimes like you might feel like, what am I even doing? This is this even worth it? I could just learn on my own in my room and that's great. Yeah, but I feel like if you consistently keep doing it, uh, you probably get better at it. And that's my own view. Yeah, and for context, uh, what Alex was referring to is I'm going through a package of pre-created exercises called rustlings. Yeah, I'm actually filled with dread about it on the regular because I'm like, what do I do after I'm done with these exercises? Like at this point, I'm pretty confident that when I'm done, I'm not going to be able to do anything practical in rust. So it's like, what next? You know, I've, I have no more guardrails. But I think, yeah, in terms of limiting scope, also determining what you want your motivations to be can be important as well. Like for me, I see, and this is just for me personally, I feel like generally when you're giving prepared content, the primary motivation for me is like audience driven. And then I see learning in public as more for yourself, especially depending on how much polish you want your learning in public stuff to have. And there's a wide spectrum of things there that I've seen and heard about. And so going back to the example of like, well, you know, if you learn in public, it'll keep you going. That can be true. But for example, a couple of weeks ago, I tried a few times to work on some art assignments that I had in public. And I was like, okay, it's something, the homework is already something I didn't want to do. But I already had the the motivating factor of it's homework, so I had to do it. But then on top of that, adding like, okay, now I'm also doing it on camera and I'm speaking about it, which is also slowing me down and adding additional things to worry about and pressure and it's slowing down my computer. And I, I tried it twice and then I was like, okay, I I didn't like it the first time, definitely didn't like it the second time, but also it wasn't necessarily the best candidate for learning in public because I already had a different motivating factor. And I think one of the reasons that learning in public is popular is because it can engender accountability. Yeah, that's true. I, I definitely agree. From my own context, it's also not everything that I would learn in public because I, I feel like there are some, for example, if you have tax time box that you have to deliver in a week you won't want to do that in public right but in the case where I'm trying to learn a new technology and I feel like I I'm doing this in my own free time so that's a good candidate for something I could learn in public and I did this a couple of months back for cloud I was trying to learn AWS and I started of course sharing the stuff that I was doing on that area so definitely agree with you there it's not everything you would want to learn in public yeah earlier you alluded to a list of advantages of learning in public so 
I think I feel like this might be a good time to talk more about what those are. Yeah, sure. There are a couple of things that you get out of doing this. For example, if your initial idea for putting yourself out there learning in public is to get more visibility or land a job, it's a thing that have happened that a lot of people find like more exposure from doing this. Uh, so for example, right now there are a lot of tech jobs, obviously, but if you're kind of new in the tech development space with a limited amount of experience, how then do you stand out in the job markets? I've seen that for people that do learning in public, creating blog posts, streaming, and so on, it's kind of an added advantage because if a recruiter is trying to employ you and they Google your name and they come across something you did, which might end up being impressive, that's already one factor that this person might be a good hire. So I've seen that for one benefit that comes out of you doing these things is you put yourself in a better position to land uh, jobs if that's what you're looking for. Um, not just job opportunities as well. I've seen situations where somebody possibly posted on Twitter saying, oh, they are trying to figure out the stuff. And the creator of the specific language replied to them. So that's not something you get on a regular, right? If they had not come up to say, I did this and I'm trying to figure it out, right? That's a factor of learning in public there. They won't have access to, for example, the creator of the language replying to them or the creator of the framework in this case replying to them. So you get access to, for example, more experienced people in the area that you're trying to learn in, in public. And I've seen that the tech community is quite open to helping people, especially if you come off like you need help in a very respectable manner, of course. Job opportunities, definitely getting access to mentors or just people helping you out is also another benefit you get out of doing that. In my own case, I would say I started out with 100 is of code, like I said, and what I've gained from doing that is I eventually found out that I really like sharing the stuff that I'm doing, even if it's things that I'm learning or things that I just want to teach other people. And the interest for doing all these things, creating content stemmed out of the initial 100 days of cool challenge that I took on. And since I started that um, back four years ago, I consistently keep making these things that I do, speaking at conferences, writing blog posts. And that's one benefit that I've gotten out of the entire um, concept of learning in public. So it's something that if I had not at the time decided to do, I probably would not be here or I probably would not be making videos or something. So yeah, it's benefits. Yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it this way before now, but it's kind of funny that Alex opens the episode with, do you learn in public? Because we're literally learning in public on the podcast every week. <laughs> might even be learning in public about learning in public. It's true. It is true. Very meta. Yeah. Very meta, yeah. Oh, no, we can't use that word anymore. Oh, yeah, we can't. We have to call it something else now. It's very... Alphabet. Oh, that's not it either. Alphabet. Yeah, that's uh -huh. better. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> 
So Facebook copyrighted that word. No. I don't think so. Yeah, it's complicated. It's <laughs> super duper duper complicated. I like how, what are the little we people called? Me's? That's yeah. like the pinnacle of fang technology or whatever is like this 20 year old avatar (laughs) i guess also if you really enjoy the act of creating the type of content that you use to present your learning in public like maybe you maybe you like writing and so you enjoy getting to write tons of blog posts right i would say i'm more on the end of I don't remember who said this quote, but like, I enjoy having written something like that's more where I'm at. Like, I don't like I don't want to do the thing. Once I'm done, I'm like, oh, I feel (laughs) accomplished. But I think regardless of what medium or mediums you choose or dev two that you choose, it's still a ton of work, right? Do you have free time? Like, how do you maintain work-life balance and learn in public and have your job and all of that? I would say that's a struggle for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's I don't know how other people do it. But of course, I work in 9 to 5. And the only time that I have for doing the extra stuff that I do is my weekends, which is, of course, not very nice. My weekends and sometimes after work hours. For example, now this is after work hours. Lately, I've been trying to figure out the best possible way to go about this because, of course, I want to maintain work-life balance. So I started giving myself the leverage of taking some time off of doing it. Usually, earlier on in the year, I would work like literally every day of the week, um, Monday to Sunday, Monday to Sunday. I spend my weekends uh, making videos and then I spend Sunday, Sunday editing them. The thing that people don't know is to get the work, to get the products finished, it takes a lot of work, right? And I definitely enjoy doing it, but sometimes I just feel like it's a lot and I started taking breaks. So I took a break two months ago. I think I'm still on that break space because I haven't really gone back to actively creating as I used to. I would say it's definitely a lot and finding the balance is something that I'm still trying to figure out right now because it's it's going to be different if that was my full-time job, right? Like if, for example, I work as a developer advocate or something, then you have the entire time to create content since that's kind of your job. Otherwise, that's not where I'm at right now. So I try to spend my free time doing that. But I also know that if I'm not feeling like doing it, then I, I should, it should be fine. Like, it's okay to take breaks and then go back to it. Yeah. How about the rest of y'all? Are you experts in the balancing act? Nope, not at all. Not even close. <laughs> I'm absolutely terrible. I'm the worst at it. If I was honest with myself, the amount of time that I'm not working or sleeping every day is probably about two hours and it's like the two hours that i'm having a meal <laughs> like it's really bad yeah i was gonna guess having a meal and six polar seltzers correct uh <laughs> absolutely right yeah no it's really bad for me i know i need to do better about it i'm definitely not one to talk when i'm saying like oh yeah work-life balance because i'm i'm actually the worst at it for sure it's it's something that 
I want to work on, but it, it's hard. I feel like I have so much stuff to do and only so many hours in the day. So when else am I going to do it? Yeah, I'm, I am also terrible at it. I actually, for the last month, I've not been doing stuff because my kitchen has been under renovation, which is directly above my office. And so today, later today, I'm planning on actually doing a stream because I have my setup back. I can actually be here and not have like construction happening over me. So yeah, like it was sort of forced time off from external activities, which didn't help because then I was just like, what do I do? What do I do? Finding things outside of sitting in front of a screen and staring at stuff is probably very wise, but I'm terrible at it. So I also am not the person to ask. I think anybody, realistically, most people, if they are doing a podcast or anything that is not sponsored by a company and is not on work time, probably has issues with work-life balance. Just saying. It's a thought. It's a thought that I have. I feel like it's a very convenient thought to have on an episode where Ari can't make it because she's enjoying a nice (laughs) vacation at a resort or whatever. Yeah, she's off vacationing somewhere. A healthy person. Yeah, I was confused what you meant by like, couldn't do anything because your kitchen was being renoed because I was like, I mean, the kitchen is where I go to get a cookie. But I don't know if I'd really describe that as like doing things. Oh, now I can't get my cookies. Darn. Well, no, it's because all of the hammering and loud stomping and power tools literally were happening over my head if I was in my office. Because that is where my kitchen is. It's directly over over my head. Yeah. So. No, I had initially missed the context of like it being related to your streaming. But I don't know why you didn't just stream the work on your kitchen. Sounds like you weren't really dedicated to working in public. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about it. I thought about having a couple of streams where like I took my phone. I'd be like, look at my new kitchen. Right. But I didn't. So. <laughs> because that's like another question that I have. Like you hear about YouTuber YouTubers that kind of the boundaries of what should and should not go on YouTube will get blurred. Like everything becomes potential content, right? And I feel like it must be similar for learning in public. Like either you feel pressure to find more things to learn in public about and or publish, or there are things that you're not learning in public, but maybe you feel guilty that you're learning it in private. I could think that. I also think on a personal level that there is no pressure it's not a forced thing that you must learn everything in public. It's just a concept that, of course, everybody learns in private, right? But hey, you can also do this thing publicly. So if you feel like you want to learn one specific thing publicly just to try out the concept and see how it turns out for you, then that's fine. You can simultaneously also be learning something else and no one to showcase that as well. So I don't think there should be any pressure there because once you make it like, oh, I have to do this and then it becomes like extra work and you don't want to to add that to the extra work you already have from your job, of course. So. Yeah, I feel like it's in a weird place where like we've talked on the show before about how people often don't have hobbies anymore. Everything has to be turned into like a side hustle or monetized or something. So it's like learning in public theoretically creates a space where you are able to present failures and not being perfect at something. However, then it's possible, I think, for that 
compulsion to get transferred to the learning in public itself. And so then when you're not, you're like, oh, but I could be using this to get more exposure. And I'm like not taking advantage of of it or something. So then, you know, I could imagine some people feeling like, well, now I'm not trying hard enough or maximizing my potential. Especially if you're searching for your first job, I feel like that would be a very high pressure situation potentially. If you get people, like if you're blogging, for example, and they're replying to this, like, well, that's completely wrong. Like you have a fundamental misunderstanding of how the for loop works or something. That could also potentially be a pretty tough to deal with, I imagine. Although when I've seen people share their learning, early learning victories on Twitter, on my timeline, I've, I've really only seen positive, encouraging reactions, which is nice. I also don't know how, when these people want to get started learning in public, like what resources there there are, how they just go start doing it. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably already start doing it without knowing that it's stemmed or it's uh, concepts. But I've seen that there are people that constantly talking about these kind of things on on platforms like, for example, Twitter. There's this guy called Sean. He, I learned about this from him, actually. He wrote a memo about the concept of learning in public, what it is, how do you go about doing it. He also has a lot of other resources from people that have also explored the concept. It's actually very nice. I could, maybe we could probably link it somewhere here for people interested, but it's in terms of resources, I think more people are actually sharing their, their ideas or how they think about these concepts. Like, some, for example, I, I read one article from Ken C. Dodds on this specific topic and what he thinks about the concept of learning in public, how you can apply it to, for example, the current situation of what you're doing. In his case, creating courses. Also, other people have written blog posts on this. So I, I feel like there are a lot of resources, even though they are not collated in one place, but you kind of see other people doing it as well and you learn from them in, 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 that, in that regard. Yeah, so. yeah, I guess what are everyone else's recommendations on how to get started? I know that one of the big inspirations for me doing stuff like this was uh, Simone Geertz. The robot person. Yeah, the, the queen of the shitty robots. Her whole thing was make something that's bad so that make the goal be make something bad so that it's easier to This explains so much about you already. Yeah, I know, right? It make it makes it easier to reach your goal, right? Make it she she's made robots where it's like I think the first one that she made was like the alarm clock that just has a hand that spins on it and slaps you to wake you up. All of these weird mechanical like contraptions that her whole ethos started off with like making terrible things. She's moved on. Now she's like the stuff that she makes, it's weird, but it's also really clever, right? Like she made a a light that has a plant on top of it. So it has all of these vines draping down on it, but it's a chandelier as well. And so she has a very small house, and so that works well in her space. She also made her dream bed, which I found very claustrophobic. Just thinking about (laughs) it, I'm upset now. (laughs) So, but yeah, like, like she makes all of these things that, like, work for the stuff that she's doing. And she's kind of cut back a little bit on, like, how much content she's producing. But she's also, she's dealt with a lot of stuff. So 
yeah, I think it's, but that's sort of my, my whole thing is that I'm like, if you're going to learn something in public, don't try to be like, I'm going to create the next Facebook in public. You're not setting yourself up for success on that. Make, make it be, I'm going to have a flex box at the end of this. And I'll, I'll have a slightly better understanding of Flexbox at the end of this, right? Like, that's it. That's all that you need. We don't need the next Facebook. We need, if, if you want to learn in public. We don't need the current Facebook, let's be real. Yeah, that's true. Um, meta. <laughs> meta. And yeah, that's, so that's sort of my tip is like, set yourself up for success. Don't stack the odds against yourself. Stack the odds so that you always come out in exactly where you wanted to be. Oscar, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I'd say it's mostly echoing a lot of what you've said, because like, granted, I'm often very ambitious with things that I want to learn or things that I want to create. And I think I'm probably going to get way in over my head when I start trying some of this out for myself. Like, I'm going to get on Twitch. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> like, <laughs> if only Ari were here to so hear me say, like, you know, I start every Twitch stream with, oh, baby, let's go. Like, it's like, you know. <laughs> there we go. Finally on, on the recording. It's happening. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm gonna say that I'm gonna have I'm gonna be like oh by end of stream this is gonna be implemented we're gonna have learned this thing or whatever and like I think I'm gonna fail a lot but I think that's okay too right like it's fine like if I no <laughs> no it's not okay <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's fine if I fail sometimes and if you know the folks who are watching along are you know having a good time like you know I'm probably gonna crack a couple jokes here and there while I'm you know trying to learn something all right as i'm reading some documentation like making it interesting just being like hmm, should they have written it this way you can still you can have fun with it I, and i guess that's what i'm gonna say is the most important thing at all is have fun with it no one's sponsoring you no one's paying you to do it if you're just doing it for the heck of it yeah like have fun with it um learn however you want to learn don't let anybody get you down that's my advice yeah, I mean, that makes me think like, oh, gosh, I wish there wasn't so much secrecy around take home challenges, which again, I try to avoid as much as possible. But like, that's usually when I have the most thoughts about documentation is when I have to do somebody's take home challenge. And I'm like, wow, I have so many thoughts about the way this is written, the information architecture Wow, this endpoint. Mm. Yeah, that's a tangent off the most important point, which is I hope you have like an oh, baby counter and like the bottom of your string that goes up every time you say it. It only goes up and I'll only say it when I get a dono. Gift, do you have any advice for people wanting to get into this and wanting to start doing stuff like this? There are currently knockouts going out outside. I hope that doesn't obstruct this. But advice would be that definitely you should do this for personal reasons. For example, you want to kind of get into a specific thing or technology and you feel like this is going to be a good avenue of doing that. And you shouldn't feel pressured to do stuff because, of course, you see that maybe other people are doing it or this is the thing, the in thing right now. You should also start off with, for example, a goal. Like, this is what I want to get out of doing this. And if I'm able to achieve this, then I'm, I'm good to go. In general, it's make it... Make it fun. Definitely putting yourself out there is already a lot, right? So if you can try to do this, then definitely make it fun. Play around with stuff. 
whatever you're doing, feel free to ask questions. Feel free to make mistakes, right? That's definitely the the idea of doing it in the first place. You're not perfect, right? So you learn stuff, break stuff, and then you get better at it. Uh, Yeah, that's, that's going to be my advice. Anybody else? Yeah, I mean, for me, I feel like the most important thing is pick the medium that you hate the least. Like if you hate writing blog posts, maybe don't commit to learning in public by writing blog posts. Pick the thing that you think will create the least friction in terms of you actually doing the thing. And some other things that you could take into consideration when you're trying to pick is what is the scope of your goal? Like, is it I just want to make a flex box? Is it I just want to have tried this thing? Is it just I just want to have streams three times this quarter? And then also think about like what kind of engagement you would prefer or at least least not prefer. So like if you find it hard, for example, to do something while people are chatting at you, uh, then maybe don't do a touch stream or turn off comments or something when you're live. Or if you prefer to talk with people on Twitter then maybe direct your content there. So I think that's something that we don't necessarily talk about when it comes to content creation and live, I mean, learning in public, but like, at least for me personally, for example, I find it very taxing to do things if I have a lot of different stimuli going on. I just want to focus on one thing at a time. So, you know, if I've talked to people on chat and on Twitter and also in person and like five other things at the same time, I'm probably not going to have the best time. So I think just think about what are the things that will bug you the least. And then if you do annoyance-driven development, then in terms of the problem itself, think of the thing that bugs you the most. All right. So with that, Gift, where can people find you on the internet? I currently go by Laura Gift. It's a funny story to that first name there. But you can find me at Laura Gift underscore pretty much on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and my personal Website is my name, giftigreno.com. I also have a YouTube channel. It's also giftigreno, where I talk about tech-related stuff, my life as a developer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's move on. And it is now time for this week's picks. Oscar, would you like to go first? Yeah, this pick is going to sound familiar. Oh, you are so ready for that. yeah so i have previously picked apple's brand new macbook pros and today i am happy to not pick the macbook pros today but instead i will pick the united parcel service in the united states because they were some real heroes all right because my my new macbook was supposed to come on the 9th at the earliest UPS told me this past Tuesday and I was like, no, no way. And then, you know, on Tuesday, you know, I tracked it and they were like, nah, it's not coming today. I'm sorry. <laughs> they were like, just, you know, keep checking every day. I was like, all right. And, you know, I looked at it yesterday and it was in Korea. And I was like, hmm, it's not going <laughs> to be here anytime soon. But then shocker, today at 11 a.m. I get a notification. Yo, it's downstairs. And I'm like, what? I looked at the tracking and UPS did work to get it from Korea to my house in the past 24 hours. And I'm truly impressed. Uh, So shout out to the United Parcel Service. Yeah, I don't know how shipping works. I feel like sometimes something I order from Korea or whatever, Japan, will get here faster than something I'll order from like Minnesota. Yep. I also have the same thing. 
going on. I ordered the MacBook Pro, October 16th to be precise, and it's going to be delivered November 24th. So that's oh. a whole one month. I feel that. Yeah, it makes sense because I'm in Europe, and I guess they're sourcing it from the US. So that would pretty much take a lot of time. I'm not sure. but I think they're all coming from China. That's yeah. at least where mine originated. Oh. Yeah. See, I can't even join in on the new Mac hype because I, I just keep waiting for them to release the Mac Mini M1X. I'm like, let's go. Hurry up. When's it? 2022. <laughs> like, come on. I need it. Oh, that that thick Mac Mini. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, like, I mean, you know, it would be nice to have a new laptop because my laptop is a bit weak at this point. But I'm not going anywhere. And, like, the primary reason I want a new laptop is for graphics work. And the Mac, the iMac is pretty, but I already have a monitor on my desk. So... The M1 is really the most practical solution if they would just freaking make it. I think they'll make it, and I'm so ready for their marketing materials. It's the, it's gonna you're gonna go on their website and it's gonna say Mini to the Max, <laughs> and <laughs> you're gonna be so hyped. Mac Mini Max, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised that they won't rename it the M1 N1 Mini M1. M1 yep. N1. Well, no, we heard you. M1. We okay. got it. <laughs> yep. There was blank expressions on everybody's face. I just want it to be clear. I was like, which letters? Yes. Tessa, do you want to talk about your picks? Yeah. So, I mean, I peeped Gift's picks, and she picked a book by Sally Rooney, who I learned from the Jack Edwards channel that I picked a few weeks ago. Her thing is having stories with no plot. So I started listening to one of her books as well, but I I picked the cheapest one and I don't think it was a good choice for me because it's all about cheaters. And I was like, this is not super appealing to me. But another book in that same vein that I haven't been able to read yet because I only have time for audiobooks right now. And this audiobook is a Kindle exclusive, which I think is evil, but whatever, is Play It As It Lays by Joan Didion. So that's something I want to read, but have not yet. I also last month finished Sweet Home, which is a live action show based on a webtoon called Sweet Home. In it, there's yes. a character who is a firefighter and there's a scene. This is this is, was part of the big motivation for me personally to watch the show because I saw a screenshot of this on Twitter. You can see her latissimus dorsi, which is a giant muscle, giant set of muscles on your back. But you can pretty much never see it because it's covered by all their stuff. But you can see it in the movie and it's kind of creepy and fascinating. So if you like anatomy, maybe watch out for that. Alex is making a face. No, that sounds that sounds like not my cup of tea. <laughs> and I would say that it is less cohesively or like less designed feeling than Squid Game where that had like a very tight, it was presented in a very tight package and Sweet Home was a little bit more all over the place, but also not completely because you didn't understand the rules of the universe. Like it kept me guessing more. And so it was kind of exciting to watch that, especially after Squid Game and feel more like, oh, what could happen next? Almost anything. And then the last pick I have for today, I don't know if I've talked about James Hoffman on the show before, but he is a award-winning, international award-winning barista who has his own... I think he has his own coffee line and he has a YouTube channel where he talks about coffee. And so he did a couple of videos relatively recently that I watched that that were pretty funny. So the one I'm going to recommend today is I tried every Nespresso pod. It's a great example, I'll say, of learning in pub- public <laughs> in extreme detail what specifically it is about Nespresso that you don't like. And also we 
Alex and, and Oscar and I spent an hour yesterday talking about beverages, so it felt appropriate. Very appropriate. Yes, yeah. very. Gift, do you have any picks? Tessa alluded to some. Yeah, I actually do have a couple. The first one is this book I'm currently reading. Still reading, actually. It's called Beautiful World Where Are You by Sally Rooney. Uh, this is the second book that I'm reading by her. I, of course, I, I liked the first one, Normal People. I actually saw the show first and I decided that it might make sense to check her out because the BBC show is adopted from her book. So I read it. Right now, it's, I don't know how I feel about this one that I just read because it's just, it beats all over the place uh, with the um, characters in the, in the book. But I hope, or like I said, I'm still reading it. I think it might end up having a good ending. It's about two different couples and how they struggle with relationships, uh, life in general. And yeah, the second one I have is the um, show called You. If anybody has seen it, you know that this is could be our show. I also like it. I've seen the two previous um, seasons, and the recent one was released uh, last month. I liked it a lot. I also liked the main characters. It's the kind of show where you watch and then you have to be very careful of stuff you... The internet in general, because it's, it's focused on how the main character is kind of creepy. Now I'm losing my thoughts in this part, but if you're if you're interested, you can definitely check it out. It's, it's it's very interesting. The last thing on my list is something I found out yesterday. It's this platform for folks interested in learning Web three, and I've been seeing a lot of people talk about Web three recently. I just have this FOMO of not missing out on what's happening. Maybe not because I want to get into it or, hey, I, I need to use it. Just need to know what it's about. So I found this platform. Yeah, FOMO seems to be a very big component of Web3 for sure. Like it's like an inherent part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of spending my weekend just checking out this. So they're going to be hosting like a learn with me session where you take you through what Web3 is. They also have other ones where they, you can actually build an app using Solidity. So somebody actually walks you through the process of getting into it. So I'm just going to join the first one to see if it's something I actually like. And yeah, for me, it's like, I just want to get to know what this whole thing is about and see if it's something that I'm actually going to be interested in. Yeah, so I found this website. That's very nice. And it's also a community of people in the Web3 space as well. Cool. Well, my pick this week is the week that we are recording this. It is the first week of November. And two days ago, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. So my pick this week is the Atlanta Braves because they are the best baseball team. Boom. So yeah, there you go. That is my hot take and pick for the week. I'd love to argue with that, but I can't argue <laughs> with that. You can't because I'm right this year. They have beaten the Atlanta curse. They did not screw everything up at the last second. So yeah, that is my pick for the week. All right. So 
gift, important question before we go. Tell us about your headphones. What headphones are you currently using, and do you like them? Okay, <laughs> this is actually a G- <laughs> I have to look out for the name. It's a JBL NC. It's a JBL Life Forsisty. I actually got it as a gift. So, yeah, I like. I'm not a headphones kind of person. Uh, this is the first one that I'm actually using that I like. It's also noise cancelling. So that's very nice. I, like I said, I don't use headphones a lot, but this is my first time doing or giving it a try. Yeah, and I like it. I think one cool feature that I also like, it's the thing that it has. So you can also connect it to, it has an app on your phone you can connect it to you can set up some additional how do you call this stuff you can basically set it up so it's not just the interface you see here but you can have um, additional configuration set up on the app yeah oh so you can like equalize it and like more yeah, base exactly. less base that was more trouble. I was looking for yeah. yeah yeah nice cool i think what headphones are i guess use would be a good candidate for some kind of sketchnote visualization. <laughs> right. Someone gifted me an art book on women wearing <laughs> headphones because they were like, you love headphones. Anyway. All right. Well, thanks for that. And that's all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, head on over and find us at Enjoy the Viewcast. If you like cats, you should also join us at Enjoy the View Cats. If you are listening to this and you aren't subscribed to the show, you should subscribe to the show. You can find it in any podcast listening app that you like. And while you're in there looking for it, you should probably leave a review because that helps us out a lot. And if you don't like it, you probably shouldn't leave a review. And instead, you can send your complaint on a $20 bill to at Loomy on Twitter. If you do like the show and you want to do more than just leave a review, please consider supporting us on Ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash enjoy the view. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. Enjoy the view.